Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. Twin Peaks is over 30 years old. There's so much more to learn about Twin Peaks. I, we recommend you pick up our book, Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book, to find out even more about the show that you love. We have tons of great stuff. We have over 100 interviews. We have commentary from the community. We have us. We have some great photos that have never been seen by most folks. I think if you're a diehard Twin Peaks fan, you're going to absolutely love this book, and you will definitely learn something new. So pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Harry, remember that ad with a picture of Ronette Pulaski? My mom's a writer. She was really good. Poems and short stories. She's an alcoholic. Shut your eyes and you'll burst into flames. Let's talk about Laura. Okay, let's talk about Laura. Give me a beer, Shelly. Honey, what happened? Are you okay? Just give me a damn beer! Oh, you're not gonna hurt me again. Don't touch me. Don't come near me, Leo. Don't make me leave. And there's always music in the air. All right, this is Twin Peaks Rewatch, episode five, and we are lucky to have the 25 Years Later team. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hey. So we have on... I'm Rob King, and what I do is I'm the uh, managing editor of Twin Peaks material currently. Hi, Steve Wandling, also part of the uh, 25YL crew. I am a staff writer and the assistant horror editor. Hey, Andrew Grievous, the janitor for 25 years later here. <laughs> Clean up their desks at night, and uh, I see a he lot of interesting things in wastebaskets. Does a wonderful job. Hi, it's JC Hotchkiss. I am managing news editor for 25 Years Later site and trying to write a whole bunch of things. And the unseen players. Hi, I'm Minx Arcana as Josie Packard. Hi, I'm Shafer the Dark Lord as James Hurley, Big Ed Hurley, Deputy Andy Brennan, Sheriff Harry S. Truman, Special Agent Dale Cooper, Doc Hayward, Major Garland Briggs, Einar Thorson, and Pete Martell. I'm Francine the Lucid Dream, and I approve this message. And we are the, the Pink, Pink Room Burlesque. Burlesque. So this is episode five. I, how I explain episode five is it's kind of the Log Lady's Cabin episode. What is your uh, your impressions of episode five? It was a filler episode because it was kind of you know they kind of went all over the place. It had your it had your Benjamin and your you know your Jerry and it had Leland coming back. It really hammered home the the Leo aspect. I think this episode they were definitely kind of putting that out there. And I would agree with I that. Mean, I, you, you finally see red curtains. Connected with the real world, you're you're finally seeing Leo's truck identified with the magazine there. So, so I thought yeah. this was a rather important episode. And then, and like you said, you all said the log lady's cabin. She says some fairly important things. I guess we'll get to. Yeah, I just uh, thought that overall the episode, as you're saying, you know, um, a good pilot is supposed to kind of wow us and draw us in, and then you know you sit, get a few episodes to put all the players on the board, so to speak. And I thought this episode did that really well. In terms of covering a lot of ground, I thought it kind of set all the players, you know, as you're talking, seeing curtains for the first time or, you know, a visit to the log lady's cabin. And, and there's just a lot that this kind of covers. So I think that this is one of those episodes that sets up the season really nicely. Totally. That's true. And we start off with uh, Cooper uh, being woken up in his bed. Is it the Iceland Icelanders? I think it's the Icelandic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where they're singing at the top of their lungs. 
Usually the Great Northern is a wonderful place. It's always busy, though. They, they're trying to woo all these people. I know, but people. usually they're very polite, and he loved the accommodations, and now he's upset. And he, I think, doesn't he talk about how he's got to send over his earplugs? He, he talks to <laughs> yes. Diane, a.k.a. Amazon. And to send over some earplugs. I think he got it less than two days, though. He's he got, really yeah, he must have Diane uh, Prime. Isn't, isn't this the, the episode Prime. where he comes in and he says, I only have time for coffee? He's like, yes. he's like, I'm tired and I'm, you know, and I only have time for coffee. Right. He doesn't have the time for chit chat with Audrey there. Yeah, I That's know. Right. You should always have time for Audrey. <laughs> so, Brian, would you be interested in writing that Diana's Amazon theory for me? <laughs> I would definitely it is something I've been saying since I started watching the show. At first, I thought Diane wasn't a real, a real person. But I'm like, how the heck does Diane get him stuff so quickly? Like, He's not he a gets, real person. He gets the earplugs like the next day. Uh, He's like, I think. Look, Laura Dern, what are we talking about? This is Laura Dern. She, she can do anything. <laughs> Diane Prime. <laughs> Lindsay and I still go back and forth on that. Lindsay and I, to this day, we'll have a conversation. We said we still, regardless if we saw... Laura Dern play her in season three. We still believe she's like a figment. Yeah, I like that theory. Nail polish and everything else, the red and the white, and the way she dresses, she dresses like the color of the recorder. Right, uh, yeah, she does. I like that. Yeah. But oh, it, yeah. Yeah. And the missing pieces, Cooper is talking to a Diane. That's a weird Cooper. It yeah. is, I agree. That's a really that strange not a real Cooper. Right. Yeah. Is he doing a, a, he's, doing he's stretching, stretching in front of her, like he's trying to like impress her. Right. But in the book, <laughs> they went on a date. And they implied they had, duck, they had duck, and they implied they had coitus afterwards. <laughs> Something. <laughs> you know, that's always a great day. Duck and coitus. <laughs> I guess the next scene we have Ben and Jerry. Ben and Jerry talking about foods. Jerry's always. got like uh, this gigantic uh, lamb. Uh, yeah. From this wonderful woman he met. That's right, the Icelandic lamb. Yeah, that's right. Right. Yes. Goes from food to pot in like two seasons. <laughs> Maybe he was always so on pot. Right. right. Well, he he, like, had he the always had a... the whole time. He needed to feed it. <laughs> I was just thinking about the one thing that maybe pointed to uh, um, Mr. Palmer Leland having a fret. When you look at it before, you know he's the killer. He's grieving. But when I looked at it, you know, again subsequently, you can't help but think, oh, there's a little bit of. A sign that something's a little more off in this man than grieving. Hmm, it's true. true. Yeah. Yeah. The Cooper scene in the beginning, something that I really found interesting about that was Cooper agitated. We, so far, we've had Cooper on this pedestal as this character who hmm. derives from his subconscious and his personality is so quirky. And he really gets humanized here in this first scene when he's angry about lack of sleep. It's one of the mm. first times, and we will have more over the course of the series, where he seems a little bit more like you and I than some mythological detective, which he's certainly been portrayed to be over the course of the first four episodes. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Great thought. Rob? Yeah, so, so I'll go back to Jerry with this uh, leg of lamb by the lovely Hepa. <laughs> <laughs> And with this is, I got to thinking as I was just rewatching it last night, and I saw that scene, and I said, "Well, you know what? What does lamb represent? Like gentleness, like innocence." Mm. And here it is wrapped in plastic. Oh. And this disturbs Ben when he sets. It. Of course, it's just gross to have that food on your desk. But but I thought perhaps maybe this is kind of a more subtle hint that that kind of casting some shade on Jerry. You mm. know, he's in love mm. with this innocence wrapped in plastic, kind of idea. I wow, like it. I, like I like that, that. a lot. 
I do too. I never even noticed that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. You know, the innocent slaughtered and then right. you know brought to to be devoured by this you know rich. It also could be like a, almost like a red herring thrown at Ben too. That the fact that they you know Jerry throws this plastic wrapped you know innocent creature on his desk. Ben was definitely being pointed at a few times. The German title for this is Cooper's Dreams. Oh, with an S. Dreams. Cooper's Dreams. And like, there's no Cooper dream in this whole episode. I mean, I guess we could talk about the red curtain that's from his dream, but it's a weird title. And if anything, he, he didn't get to dream because he got woken up. But. Right. But so much of his dream was realized in the in the log lady's cabin, hmm. which is really what makes yeah. this one of my favorite episodes of the first season. Um, it is a build up episode towards the finale, and a lot of things are being put in place. You know, from a traditional television standpoint, all gears are headed towards the finale here. But we do get to see those things that make Cooper so quirky show up in the real world, like it was discussed earlier. And uh, the Log Lady's Cabin is certainly one of my favorite scenes in the entire first season, if not entire series. Definitely. Def, yeah. And I, just, I agree. I love that scene. And, you know, this episode was, was written by Mark Frost. And it's funny, especially when we get to that cabin part, there's dialogue there that you'd swear was David Lynch or something. Like, it's just so quirky and so strange that, like – if you didn't know better, you just assume that David Lynch wrote that. Mm. But Mark did, didn't it's he? Wrong. wrote the whole episode, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. Yeah. But the feel of the show has been established. So I, he well, knows the, Yeah, he knows how these characters should speak. Sheriff's Department go to, I believe, Jacques. They're at yeah. Jacques' uh, apartment. And they find the magazine. Yeah. yeah. Stuck to the ceiling? It's in the lamp, I think. In the lamp? Or, or in the light It's like fixture. hidden. In, in the, the light fixture, isn't light it? Yeah. Like Cooper gets up and then gets it down. Right. Yeah. That's right. As he's chewing on a donut, like, and tries to shove the whole thing in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and we see the guy dressed up. Georgia Peach? Georgia Peach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a man with a beard and a blue dress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then where the next scene is. Bobby and uh, Shelly there. Hanging out. I mean, he's basically saying, I'm a big guy. I'm going to shoot Leo. He, Leo's <laughs> and dead. And somebody answers the door. He's like, yeah, I got to yeah, go. Yeah, he's like, I got to get out of here. Whoop, whoop. Rob, what do you got to oh, say? <laughs> yeah, so so in um, David Bushman and Arthur Smith's book, Twin Peaks FAQ, he points out an interesting thing. He kind of, he, he says that uh, Frost obviously knew his Chekhov. And, and what he's talking about is that in school, you always learn about foreshadowing. And, and it's always the gun in the drawer or the idol that sets up the suspense. And, and that's what Mark Frost is doing here with Bobby playing with Shelley's gun. And, and, and we know that we're leading up to some ominous thing happening with this gun toward the end. Good point. Very good. What's that old saying? If you introduce a gun in the first act, by the end of the third act, it needs to have gone off or something like yeah. that. Unless it's season three. I was just going to say that. <laughs> so, this should yeah. irritate me, but it does. The whole uh, Cooper's in the hospital. He gets Bushman's gun. He's like, oh, give me the gun that, uh, that you have on you. He never uses the gun at all. Like, what was the point? I don't know if it's just like, oh, no, I truly am the FBI because I have my gun with but me. But then he does use the gun at Judy's. Oh. Yes, he does. He does. Oh, I was wrong. Yeah. I forgot about that. I know, because it happened so much later on. It was like another world. And then he world. had right. gun for lunch. All right, then I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought I the same thing. I forgot about that. All right, why don't we do a unseen scene? An unseen scene. Gas farm garage. Day. Big Ed Hurley and James Hurley are working together on an engine. James is wrestling with some emotional demon. Ed takes notice. Mom came home yesterday. 
Ed nods. She in bad shape? It's getting worse. Every time she goes off on a drunk now, I half expect her to turn up dead. And part of me's thinking there's worse things that could happen. Those are hard thoughts. James almost overcome with emotion. God, I'm so ashamed of her. That doesn't mean we give up. We have to keep trying. What's left to do? Talk about it some more? She won't get help. She won't listen to either one of us. I don't know what else we can do. She's killing herself. I don't want to hate her, Ed, but if she won't let us help her, sometimes I think it'd be better if she'd just get it over with. His tears finally come. Ed hugs him. I know it's rough, but if we give up on her, who else is going to give a damn? Car pulls up out front. We hear it trip the bell wires near the pumps, pulling away, trying to make light. (laughs) It's been kind of a rough week. He goes out to the back. We hear a car door open and close. Norma comes into the shop. Too many secrets to rush into each other's arms. Hey, good looking. I love Schaefer, my gosh. <laughs> it, it's a little crazy that he does all of the male voices. All the guys' voices, yeah. <laughs> He's so good. I should mention that both Rob and JC, you guys were on the last Community Rewatch show, which thank you for your great performances that you two did. You're welcome. In those, there was the whole Colleen Hurley. Well, there Col- is James. Yeah, James has the moment with his mother where he talks to her and stuff. So I'm kind of glad they didn't go into detail with this story. I got to be honest. The thing is, they tried so hard because I think they might have, they might actually filmed it twice. I think they did it in season one, and then they came back in season two, and they tried to do it again, and each time it was cut. <laughs> but you're right. it didn't. So since they cut that from the last episode, there's no way. I mean, maybe they felt like, oh, it's not. Why even mention it? Because yeah. we didn't see him see his mom. Getting it in well, this episode. The only thing that I could think of when I'm reading it to do the, you know, the narration for four and now with five reading it again and listening was the fact that they wanted to have some si- sort of like side by side with the way of why he felt the way he did about Laura because he mm. thought he could save her too so if it, if, the, if they set it up that he really wanted to help his mother but he couldn't get to her it was almost like he wanted to do that for Laura and didn't succeed in that do you know what I'm saying true that's the, that's the only thing I could think of that was why they would have had that storyline kind of go and they were still pushing it later on in this episode he still does run into donna at the gazebo and he's still saying about oh my mom she's a drunk right. and this and that so they still exactly they really did want to have it in there but i don't know that was fine with me yeah that's all you need yeah yeah they really established it in that one scene and as i watched it having read this i i, I said they did just fine establishing that i remember that about the storyline and i didn't need the extra although i, I could probably always use more big ed in scenes yes. <laughs> and then audrey goes to horns to for her job and uh convincing emory battis right yes is that it he folds like a stack of chairs well, she said she's gonna she's gonna say you made a pass at me if you don't give me the yeah the and job. tell my father and yeah. like basically he's like okay whatever you want to do I'll give you the job you're hired <laughs> who directed this it was Leslie, Leslie Link. Link a gladder oh yeah. and then we go to the double R and we, we've got uh, the James Donna and Maddie Maddie they're all the hanging Harry Coke debacle <laughs> the what the Coke debacle. <laughs> Uh, what happens to the a, Coke? There was a whole thing on Twitter about how James buys her a, a, a cherry Coke and she never takes a sip out of it and she just leaves it. 
and then just gets up on when and agrees that she'll go find the diary and gets up and it was like a whole funny threads for months about cherry coke and how she disrespected the cherry coke maybe, maybe, maybe his hands are too close to the top of the drink he's like i'm not drinking dinner out of that no we got bobby in therapy uh with dr jacoby and we this is where we find out that Laura told Dr. Jacoby that when he and Laura had sex, he cried afterwards. Right. So right. Jacoby's wait, throwing before, that in his face. The Bobby scene, um, that it's also one of my favorites. I know somebody else had said the same thing, and I wanted to echo that statement. Yeah. Bobby had been portrayed as such a bad boy, as such a villain over the course of the four episodes in the pilot that we've seen thus far. And this is the first time that we really got to see Bobby as more than just the villainous type. You know, he'd been flirty with Shelly, mm -hmm. but he'd always been that bad kid, the one that you knew was potentially going to get into trouble. And this scene here with Jacoby just broke him down. Mm, and yeah. we got to see what was going on with him. We got to see what he suffered from. And in a lot of ways, he became a little bit more parallel to James. Mm. We viewed them as opposites this whole time. They're rivals. Right. But now we get to see what makes both of them tick. What's the drive for both of these characters' fatuation with Laura? You know, James has the savior complex when you compare, like, because I think JC was spot on with her interpretation about James's mother earlier. And with Bobby, it's this deep-rooted, I want to please Laura Palmer. And here in the scene with Jacoby, it just becomes crystal clear. It's like, this is why he loved this girl. She broke him down in a way to where he was almost enslaved to her charm. And I love it. It's a very powerful scene. Right. So, so I would second that emotion that you really see him change. And I know John Byrne talks about it and wrapped in plastic. This is the episode where we begin to see more nuance with some of the characters. And, and so part of that, when we kind of signed on here, I was thinking about that scene and, and I thought is, is this now at the beginning, it becomes a family therapy session. Mm -hmm. Is this the Briggs we saw from the pilot or is this when we begin to see all of the characters becoming nuanced is from this therapy session. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Well, really we, we see the Bobby that we read about in the diary. Yes. Mm -hmm. because the Bobby in the diary right. is that Bobby that breaks down. It's the one that, you know, he really, you know, I think initially loved her and, you know, fell into her charms, like Andrew said, and then, then, but really got torn apart because she was fighting her demons and kind of gave in to Bobby. And then Bobby was wanting to please her, was like, okay, I'll do this for her. And that's where you get the Bobby at the beginning, you know, in the pilot and then leading up to the scene. So you didn't really know it, but if you read the diary, that's the Bobby we get when, yeah. you know, when Dr. Jacoby breaks him down. I agree. Definitely. And that, that being released, you kind of you have that soaring music, and then you go into outside, and that leads us to the cabin. The cabin. <laughs> the cabin. Yay. And I really love this, the idea of the, the men in the woods. The yeah, bookhouse boys. The bookhouse boys. I do say on each one of these shows about, like, is there anything that after watching season three do I think about now with this show? But I do always think about the whole uh, Jack Rabbit's palace. Oh, there was the men in the woods, and they were on a mission. And I don't mm -hmm. know, this kind of reminds me of that same kind yeah. of feel to it. Yeah, right, right. They're really looking for Jacques' cabin. And I think so. once they just bump into they don't even know that they don't even know it's Long Lady's cabin. No. Like, oh, knows that the log lady's cabin's there because she alludes to the fact that 
I haven't seen you in a while or something. I thought she says to Hawk. Yeah, she, yeah. I, I, did she say like you're a few days late? Like you yeah. should have been here by now. The, there were so many episodes leading up to like, what does the log have to say about all this? And I really thought this was something that was going to happen for the whole series. Like I thought it was always going to be like, will Cooper talk to the log this time? <laughs> we actually do find out. There's no, there's no more mystery to it. It's that we we learn what the log knew. Right. Right. Doesn't she say something about catching fire? Yes. yes. Burst it, uh, bursting, on, bursting into flame, uh, something like that. I can't yeah. remember the line. I should know down. the line. That's that's the to me is the David Lynch line. It's like close your eyes and you'll burst into flames. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just reminds me of my Firewalk with me is it just my favorite, one of my favorite films. It just that reminds me of that that scene with um, with Laura and uh, Donna. Yeah, yeah. Oh, when you're falling, right? Yeah, faster, falling, faster. And, yeah, and the, just the title in general, you know, totally that whole. Yeah. Right. So, so she's talking about the fire, and this is when we begin uh, again to get some understanding about what fire walk with me means. So I think the line she says is, fire is like the devil hiding like a coward in the smoke. Mm. Yes. yes. And, and in that reporting of the log, we find out that there were two men, uh, three men and two women laughing in horror. This is the first time until we get to what the the premiere of the second season and then later in Fire Walk with me that, that we're getting our first clues of what what's happening at the end of Lars' life directly mm. from the log. Is Fire Walk with me tied to it? And it's Mark Frost. This is Mark Frost doing like we we put so much emphasis I, I do at least on, on David Lynch and Fire and it's all him. But it's but we've learned in a um an interview that the Bookhouse Boys and the Owls and all that stuff was Mark Frost. Yeah. Isn't that something? And it wasn't David Lynch at all. I'm falling more and more in love with this episode the further that we go along. You know, I even rewatched it, but something about talking to you guys is bringing that out in me. Mm -hmm. And I alluded to humanizing Cooper earlier, and then I talked about Bobby and James and how much stronger I felt about them as characters. And it's the same with the log lady. You know, she had been teased as, ooh, is she important? or is? I mean, we, we didn't think she was comedy, but we didn't know how important she was prior to this episode. And it really gives you an idea of how well mapped out this entire series was when you look at what happens here in episode five and then compare it to, like, as Rob mentioned and Steve also, the season two premiere and Fire Walk With Me, everything aligns so perfectly. You know, the, the blueprint yeah. prior to this show starting was solid and we can look back on an episode like this and just see exactly how genius it was their pre-planning prior to production yeah yeah very true absolutely i agree i love the scene because they really did yeah they they put the log lady in in a kind of seer kind of role but like just even like her little mannerisms like i love when cooper goes to grab the cookie and she slaps his hand and says, wait for the tea. Yes. And if, if you use that, like, with today's terminology, it's like, wait till I tell you something first. Like, wait for the tea. So yeah. it kind of made me laugh when I rewatched it because I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, that really – she was trying to pace them. You know right. what I mean? It's like it's just very – yeah, this whole scene with the way she interacts with everybody and tells them things. And you could see the relationship between her and Hawk. Hawk was very at ease. If you watch his whole mannerisms through enti- the entire tea and cookie scene. Yeah. He's very much relaxed around her. So I do think that, there, that that's the, the season three, the relationships, you know, people were kind of like, oh, I didn't realize Hawk was so close. Yeah, you did. Because if you watch certain things with him and the log lady, there was a closeness there. Oh, yeah, I agree. Totally agree. I always, I always felt there was a connection between them. I think they went deeper, and and it makes sense that it's stronger, you know, twenty five years later. So Absolutely. I, I, uh, I agree. Totally. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. And it, Hawk says the wood holds many spirits, doesn't it, Margaret? And he does. You're right. He has a. I didn't even see that connection until you're saying that. But yeah. Yeah. In the Hawk Log Lady relationship actually reminds me a lot of my relationship with Rob, where I call him frequently and say cryptic things over the phone. So are you Hawk and Rob is the Log Lady in this scenario? <laughs> no, I'm the Log Lady and he's oh, Hawk. All right. That's what I thought. I was going to say, I think Andrew, I could just see Andrew as the log lady very easily. Not that Rob, you wouldn't, you know, I just see Rob as the hawk in this scenario. <laughs> oh, Sorry, uh, Rob, if you wanted to be the log lady. Connected. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we also learn about her husband died in, in a fire. Which I want to talk about real quick. We learn about her husband and uh, Ben and myself had the pleasure of speaking to Catherine Coulson uh, before our passing. And we asked her about the log, and I wish a part of me we didn't, but I'm glad we did because we have that forever. We asked her, we thought the log was like her husband, like the spirit of her husband lived on in that log, or that was a way of her coping with her husband's death because she, it was a gift. And she just said, nope, that's not how I perceived it. She perceived it as it was just a log. And had nothing to do with her husband. I don't, I don't like I don't that. Know, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. This is one yeah. of the few times that I'm kind of like, well, thank you for sharing, but I'm going to say it is. Yeah. Because there's so, yeah. But it's Well, it could have been a totem. You know, like, it's not actually her husband. Exactly what you're saying, JC. I thought the same thing. Like, but she was just saying it had no, like, the way she perceived it, it was not her husband, had nothing to do with him at all. It was just a lock. <laughs> okay. Tell Mark Frost about that and then the secret history of Twin Peaks, and then you get back. We should probably just keep a note here for one of the upcoming kind of deleted scenes be, because I want to talk about Mark Frost, and I want to say that's how she saw it. But no thanks to Mark Frost with what he wrote later, considering that he wrote this. And, and so I want to come back to that point here in a second uh, about our interpretations of her husband and what happened. I also – like. The actors, I always look at it one way. The actors have, they usually are very, they keep it secret about how they perceive something anyway. So it's just interesting to hear her perception of it. But I think ultimately as the Twin Peaks community and Mark Frost, we've, we've seen it that way. Which I think we all universally agree that it had something to do with her husband. Yeah, or either where they got married because they got married up in the woods and it was a piece of the wedding because she didn't, you know what I mean? And right. Right. Yeah. It's sentimental, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess I was thinking of stepping back and do another uh, kind of deleted or unseen scene. And this actually yeah. took right took place before they went into the woods. Exterior. Woods. Day. A number of police cars parked in a clearing, the jumping off place for a search party. Cooper, Truman, Hawk, and Doc Hayward. They're preparing to go off into the woods when Andy speeds up in his patrol car and gets out. Sheriff! Leo Johnson's been gone for two days. His wife hasn't seen him. Okay, Andy. But the thing is, I looked into the kitchen. She was having breakfast, and the table was set for two. Good work, Andy. You keep those eyes peeled. Andy beams with pride. Andy, I want you to stay with the cars. Andy's disappointed. I need someone to stay near the radio. We'll keep in touch on the walkies. Andy nods and starts back to the cars. Hawk, lead the way. Hawk tunes up his sensory apparatus, nods, starts into the woods. Cooper and Truman look at each other. Cooper nods. Doc, you sure you're up for this? In for a penny, in for a pound, Harry. That's the spirit. They follow Hawk into the woods. 
I find it interesting that Andy actually observed more things than you expect him to. Do you know what I mean? Like, he yeah. says, but the thing is, I looked into the kitchen and she was having breakfast at the table was set for two. Yeah, mm. that was good. You know what I mean? Like Andy was, oh, and like yeah, Cooper yeah. says, good work, Andy. You keep those eyes peeled. And, and Andy beams with pride. It's like he he's trying to impress Cooper. You know what I mean? Like it was, bit, but it was, it was un-Andy like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. After the gun thing, he has to. Yeah. <laughs> After him was shooting someone. That's true. And this scene kind of explains why wasn't Andy in the woods. Usually all the all the men kind of go in the woods together. At least Andy was in season three in the woods. This would have explained, oh, Truman wanted him to stay behind. Yeah. But, I mean, we didn't yeah. need it. But. Yeah. I also find it funny that when Truman asks Doc, are you up for this? And he goes, in for a penny, in for a pound, Harry. It was just like it's a very – it sounds like some something – Warren Frost would say, like, uh, not hit Doc Hayward. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking about season three again, and I'm like, why did Andy go through the whole trouble of saying he was going to meet somebody, and there was the whole truck thing, and he looks at his watch, and the guy never shows up? Like, what was the point? It I was a MacGuffin, Ben. It was a MacGuffin. I know, but these are things that haunt me. These are things that haunt you. <laughs> like, why? What was happening? The Andy here? subplot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need an Andy spinoff. What, what does he do on a, a regular day? Nothing. Nothing. He picks on a chair, Lucy. (laughs) They do find uh, Jacques' cabin. And I guess this is some more stuff related to Cooper's dream. This brings the dream to life. Yes. I guess you're right. I guess it really does. Yeah. It interprets the dream with the bird, the music, and the curtain. Brian's right. Bam. Right? The bird. The funny is the bird I don't think about, but the bird actually, there's a shadow of a bird in the dream, in Cooper's dream. And we have Waldo. There's always music in the air. And the record player is going, and then the curtain. So, again, I'm trying to follow through the episode using this uh, Twin Peaks FAQ, and they mention a detail here that I'm trying to remember. It says there's also a camera on a tripod loaded with film. Right. There is. Okay. So so just a real quick note on that. You know, this is also what I noticed in this episode was how much it was really emphasizing some of the detective noir moment. And one of those with that is what that's really referring to is, in my mind, is going back to Raymond Chandler's novel and the film with Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart, The Big Sleep. (laughs) And when he comes to, to find one of the characters, I forget how it's arranged, he walks into the house and the two people have fled and the girl's kind of sitting there out of it. And there's a tripod standing there and the insinuation is she has this secret life hmm. that, that he's helping her from. And so I think that tripod and camera may have been kind of a throwback, even though we lose that detail in further renditions of what happens that night. And then an interesting part of that is, is so this is the second movie that Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart would film together and and of course we know they had a famous affair and when he first met her she was 19 Mm -hmm. and he's 45 and at the beginning of this episode you have the detective uh, Cooper asking Audrey point blank how old are you? 18 (laughs) I'll see you later Audrey so you almost still have this detective noir kind of thing uh, associations going on and if that details there which I I think that's what it's referencing I would like to know how Rob stole all of my exact same thoughts right there (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to say that Uh, I heard it from your lung. Oh. <laughs> I heard it from your lung. That's, That's awesome. Question. In Cooper's dream, there's a bird. Yes. Is that the shadow that goes by? Because I right. always... Yes. The shadow that looks like it's flying by? Yeah. That's it, right. It's a bird. Is there always... But I also thought there's a there's a page that goes... There's a piece of paper that is behind that. Behind the curtain, too, correct? 
I don't know anything about a piece of paper unless now, see, unless the burger was made out of a piece of paper. I think it was like the missing diary page goes flying behind because if you see, there's two distinct <laughs> flying shadows behind there. I've never seen a bird one. Yeah, I don't know. It's Lynch on Rob, Lynch that is remember, where we I hear. I thought there's two distinct different shadows. I'm not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I I don't have the detail here, and I'm not remembering that. Uh huh. But but I love the interpretation of it. Uh, the Lynch and Lynch book, I think Lynch actually says that he wanted a bird in the background, and they had to come up with a some, shadow, a shadow of that. Yeah. Because yeah. I thought it was an owl. Like I, it looks like an well, owl, but an I owl also was a bird, thought right? yeah. it was. Yeah. It, it's just, yeah, shadow of a bird, but it would explain uh, the bird inside the cabin. Because right, there well, was a yeah, bird. The minor bird. Yeah. Right. Of course, the camera is for Flesh World. That's where they took their pictures. I want to bring something up, and maybe I'm. This is something I'm missing, but they see Leo's truck in the photo. But that's the only thing in the photo. There isn't a girl or anything in front of that truck. So it's like they're soliciting people who wanna like go on a date with this truck, or is the truck trying to impress people? This seems weird. This this is a magazine that is soliciting. Like I think it was so sleazy, so weird. Mm. Well, you know, it's a world of truckers. Yeah, <laughs> it is a world. <laughs> I love it. Touche. So good. That's good. Flash world. It's a world of truckers. And it, it, yeah, I mean, it is weird. Like, no, it's good. like some girls and see that truck, be like, well, I'm going. Or some guy, maybe. I don't know. It's just weird that it's just a picture of the truck. I mean, it could have been like he could pick anybody up along the way. Like, he, he's not just where he is. He's always, you know, moving and grooving. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I'm Maybe just, it's it's, it's trucker, sh- trucker's favorite magazine that they they. It's a shagging wagon. <laughs> no, it's a truck. Where you're going now? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. About. I don't know either. You know what? I'm gonna. I I just not to go back to the bird thing. I don't think that's a bird that's flying behind the shaft. Wow. Wow. I, I wish I, I had it's Lynch flat. on Lynch. It has no wings. It would have a wingspan. You would see wings flapping. You don't see f- wings. You just see it, uh, it looks like a sideways bird rectangle going behind the curtain. Oh, yeah. I, w- I wish Lynch on Lynch was available digitally because I would like look it up right now and say, no, this is what Lynch says. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually I, kicking I, myself. Because I have a book next to me, but it's not Lynch on Lynch, and I don't want to run in the other room to grab it right now. No, no don't run to grab it. That's, that's just my two cents, I, and it will probably be debunked, but I'm just saying just from looking at it right now, again, it does not look – to me, it doesn't look like a bird. Wow. In, in, all, in all almost the 30 years of Twin Peaks, I've never heard Laura Palmer's diary floating in the, in, the, in the Red Room, but I like it, JC. I like it. I think it's an interesting theory. Yeah. Thing about Waldo, I gotta go. Just going back to Jacques' cabin and how they find Waldo and how they left him by himself. Poor Waldo, and, and meets his untimely end in the next one. But yeah. the mimicking, I think, is very interesting too because it's if you listen to the voice, it does sound like Laura's voice as a bird. You know what I mean? Mm, I'm, right. I don't know if it, did it was it ever decided it was Cheryl Lee that was doing the the, the Waldo voice or was I it don't. actually the bird? I don't like, know. I mean, to make the bird do it on command, I mean, birds can mimic very well. Um, but right. to make it do that, it, I'm sure it was just her recorded yeah. and they just. And uh, they get, yeah, and they spent it Note to self, if I ever talked to Cheryl Lee, did you do the voice of Walda? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, because the way Flora, no, I agree. Flora, you I know, agree. it sounds like Cheryl Lee. 
It does. It does. It totally does. does. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Leo, no. Leo, no. Hurting me. Hurting me. That's the creepiest one. If I walked into a house and a bird ever said hurting me, I'm walking right out of that house. Goodbye. So I guess we have the last unseen Twin Peaks. Interior. Banquet room entrance. Night. Major Briggs and Einar Thorson. The officer chats up the head Icelander while they graze from the buffet. Of course, the modern age has changed forever the way your people live, Mr. Thorson. But my guess would be that there still remains a tremendous vestigial interest in the legends and folklore of ancient Iceland. Einar smiles, doesn't have a clue. Vestigial. Absolutely. I know, speaking for myself, that I find these last remnants of a connection to a natural, more primitive, almost pagan way of life endlessly fascinating. Locally, for instance, we have the Sasquatch mythos, or Bigfoot, a large, evil-smelling forest dweller, which I suppose would correspond to your holder folk, or hidden people. Trolls? Exactly. I also happen to be a firm believer in the UFO. I've seen some high-level classified data that would curl your hair. Josie Packard enters the room, looks around, a little lonely and out of place. She moves to Pete, who's piling up a massive plate of food at the buffet. Hello, Pete. Hey, Josie. Quite a spread they laid out. Grab yourself some grub. She takes a plate, looking around. So these are the Icemen? Eh, something like that. I could have stayed. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Three. My favorite. The Major Briggs parts, it, it almost feels a little out of character for him to be that forthcoming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody will agree with that sentiment or not, but... It, he just doesn't seem like a man that would say that much without it being to another person with similar clearance or for a very defined purpose. So that I was kind of okay with that scene being cut just for that reason alone. That's a good point. Hawk, I mean, Rob. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, I, I agree with that. I, I think that maybe that's the way it would have been read. I, I know that where I stand at today, I, I'm reading the secret history. I'm beginning I'm beginning to read the early ideas that Mark Frost gonna had say the same thing. about wanting to explo- exploit that area. And, and, and the comedy that I get out of it is that he's talking to this guy that doesn't understand him. And he can just be free. And he's just telling this guy all the details he can't tell anyone else. And, and the guy's right. just taking in like he understands it. But we're getting... Getting those first hints, I, I feel like I'm reading the secret history here. Mm. Oh, the first two, you know, monologues, I think would have been all right. Getting into the, I also happen to be a firm believer in the UFO. I, I think if they cut that but left the beginning part, it does sound like because when he's when he's talking to Bobby, you know, down the line, and he has that scene with Bobby, and he and he says a lot. It's the same type of tone. He's telling him things that he thinks and just wants him to listen and this guy is you know just listening and kind of going "Uh uh-huh i I, you know not knowing that what he's saying but just kind of trying to be kind and you know not his head kind of thing and major briggs is drinking so maybe he had a a few too many and (laughs) yeah loose lips letting loose there yeah Yeah. and like this is really his first time he would have talked about the ufos at least on the show if it had aired and it's like it becomes a major storyline in season two so it's interesting that mark frost you know all along thought that he fit good with planting the seeds seeds of ufo yeah yeah how much more powerful was it though for cooper to be on the other end of briggs briggs opening up you know, so I again, I, I prefer the the televised version because there's just a strength to that scene with Cooper being the first person to hear Briggs divulge this kind of information that we really want. And and I do agree that 
we can perceive that deleted scene as Briggs feeling free because the the other end of the conversation didn't quite understand him. But I just go back to that power at the beginning of season two when Briggs is like, hey, Cooper, we need to talk. Would have lessened it, right? Right. Yeah, I think it would have. Yeah, I think that's right. And then you have Leland. He's, he's dancing. He's got his dance scene. <laughs> The Leland Shuffle. And this scene could be interpreted as there's music in the air and there's dancing and the little man dances. His performance, like he actually kind of almost uh, squats down at one point when he's dancing. Yeah, he does. He's kind of shrinking like a little man. We talked about all of Cooper's dream clues being materialized in previous scenes. This is the culmination of that. Mm. And it's the secretive one. It's the one that's in plain sight. It's saying, hey, Leland's somebody to watch, but we didn't know we should be watching him. Right. And again, that strength of writing right there. They were telling us to watch Leland, and we just didn't see it right before our noses. Right. And you don't want to believe a father grieving the loss of his daughter would be the one. In million years, you don't want to think that. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. the polar opposite of the of the man from another place. The man from another place, when he's dancing, he's like jamming and he's having a good time. And he's hmm. the, the polar opposite. So almost like the doppelganger. He's the he's the sad one yeah. crouching down and dancing and mourning. And then, you know, the man from another place is the happy little guy dancing inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. it's a great point. Yeah. On a side note, how many of us have danced like that at parties? <laughs> <laughs> Only in my dreams. I, I should next party I go to. Uh, Hawk never would. <laughs> I don't care what any of you say. You hear "Dance of a Dream Man," come on, and you're gonna dance because that song. Right. Just, well, well, part of the, the dance, the, the part that kind of hits me yeah. with it is that what it reminded me just in thought, and maybe it's just connecting too many of the dances. I, I thought, you know, here's the thing: you're feeling this empathy for Leland, and then Catherine's idea is she'll start doing this funny dance, and then it catches on, and it becomes a craze. Everyone starts mimicking it, and then that made me think. Uh, fire walk with me with that that where, where uh, Bobby's being cross with Lara and she gives him that smile and then he melts and he begins to do this kind of funky swagger or dance and then everyone around him is mimicking Bobby or mm-hmm. reality's off kilter. It's almost like this is unrealistic that that fast everyone would start mimicking. And, I've and got I a real indication go of a laugh coming on. That, that scene, <laughs> that's right, it. where she says, come that's on, it. Bobby, smile. And then he goes and he just, he's like, and then everybody around him, yeah, he goes through the doors. Is that the scene you're talking about? Yeah. That's the scene, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think there's no connection, but it's what it reminded me of, mm. just that everyone in the room's dancing out of character. It's just yeah, yeah it gets bizarre. It's only in, it is. It gets it just kind of pulls into like everyone kind of adjusts to Bobby's frequency for a second, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And in this scene, you you have Audrey who's like uh, crying and watching all this. I mean. I always interpret it as she's crying because she knows the pain that Leland's actually going through and like how this is horrible that they're all like almost making fun of him. Or she could just be she just saw her dad having an affair. But yeah, I kind of look at it as she's she's crying for Leland. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. It humanizes Audrey in the same way we spoke of earlier with Bobby and James. You know, she is a child at the end of the day. Yeah, she's 18, but seeing her father it caught up in what she sees him in it's devastating it's hard and we want to view her as an adult because she's a main character in the show and she's injecting herself in scenes with cooper where she's trying to be somewhat flirty and seductive but at Mm. the end of the day she's 18 and that was tough for her to see yeah. Yep. Except for the last scene. 
We'll get there. We're getting there. <laughs> also, a scene with uh, Ben Horn and Josie, and you know they're kind of they're plotting and planning. But I have this is the strongest I've ever seen Josie, and she never really gets to be this. She she seems very tough. Like she can take on Ben and. She, I don't know. But it's double-crossing. Ben's yeah, double-crossing her. And... I wish we saw more of this version of her throughout the whole series. I feel like, right. I don't know, I feel like she wasn't as strong as this yeah, scene ever yeah. again. I think she was smarter than what, what we put. I think she was supposed to be portrayed as this very, you know, innocent, like, Andrew brought her over. Yeah. Not our Andrew, the Andrew in the show. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> brought her over, you know, and made her his wife and the whole thing. But I think she was, she knew, she knew who she was marrying and what it was going to entitle. And I think, it, she, you know, you wanted to believe that she was this, you know, in love with Harry, you know, woman who couldn't speak very good English. But I think at the end of the day was she was a little bit more, you know, sinister than we want to give her credit for. And I think this scene shows that. Yeah. 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 Funny side note, um, I watched Twin Peaks with my parents when it originally aired, and my dad was convinced that Josie was the killer pretty much from, I don't remember how early on, but very early in season one all the way up until the revelation. Wow. <laughs> and she did shoot Cooper, so, I mean, she wasn't that innocent. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Nice. Leland comes home and gets beat up by Hank, and then... Uh, you mean Leland? Leo. Leland. Leo gets beat up by Hank outside. Shelly shoots him, yeah. Right. Yeah. And Hank is like, now that he's a dishwasher and he's trying to win the affection back of Norma, he's like, I'm going to go beat someone up because of the whole money thing. And then he comes in, he's beaten up, and he's like, now I'm going to take out my aggravation on Shelly. But Shelly has the gun. And uh, we hear the gunshot and the lamp kind of shake. I hate his side. He goes, oh, that like grunt. Oh, my God. <laughs> to this day, it just, it, I'm like, oh. Shelly starts screaming, but it's what he, how he screams. It's like yeah. this very like <laughs> primal. Yeah. 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 Oh, you got me. <laughs> oh. We were talking about how this is titled Cooper's Dream, and we didn't fully understand it. We couldn't have called this like Leo's Very Bad Day. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> Leo in a very, very, very bad day. Yeah. That's like right. It. And then we got the the scene that is always a sticking point for... What do you mean sticking point? What well, mean? I mean, it's like a scene that I totally am happy it didn't pan out. I think JC and I like this. Yeah, but this is a... This is this scene defines Cooper of what he is going to do with a naked 18-year-old in his bed. It defines him until now. I honestly believe if Cooper in the following episode hopped in bed with her, we would not be talking about this show. It what? would no Cooper what would not be, be Cooper show? would not be the character we all love. Yes. Because you're an FBI agent and you're sleeping with an 18-year-old. Like he would be scum of the earth. He would be hashtag me too right now. I mean, it would not it would not fly in 2018, 2019. I'm happy they didn't go in that direction. I don't want to touch it with a ten foot pole because I just probably I, I don't I don't necessarily agree, but I don't disagree. I don't I don't care that he didn't sleep with her, but I think in terms of where we are as a culture, would we view the show? Would would a lot of people view the show differently? And would we be inundated inundated with articles about things like this? Yes. Yeah. But they get on my nerves personally. As yes, they would. But I know that's an unpopular sentiment, so I'll just leave it at that. In context of this episode, when it was made, you know, it was a very yeah, different culture. Did the right, thing. right. So I mean. 
back then, if they were to sleep together, it would have it would have been fine. There would not have been yeah. an outrage. I totally agree. We always have to look at things in context of when things right. were made, and that's a hunt. I agree a hundred percent. It would not have been a big deal. I'm just saying maybe younger people watching it now, it would have been a big, and you're right, we would have, there would have been a lot more chatter about that scene. I agree with Brian to a point. If they had let the scene play out, they would have turned it around and had Cooper wake up and it would have been a dream. Uh, oh. I like that. Mm. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that because he does say what I need and what I want, which this is the big scene that alludes to season three. Right, right. And how he is as his doppelganger and what he was as a person when we, mm. knew, you know, when we knew him at the, in season one and season two. But w- when he says that, if they had let him play on that, you know, if he had set that scene up and said, I, said there's a difference between what I need and what I want. And then they went forward with the scene the way that everybody's played it out in their head and every fanfic I know across the land. (laughs) (laughs) The next, the next thing you would see is him waking up. That could work. Yeah, that could have, that definitely could have worked. You know what I'm saying? So they could have gotten their scene where everybody would have had the scene of all scenes. And then they would have also had, had kept his, his innocence. That's my point. Yeah. 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 Well, I talked about some of those noir elements and, you know, the, the kind of person that we had that nuance of her crying, uh, we're starting to see who she really is. And, and if she was just kind of, at least in a noir perspective, detective noir kind of hard boiled detective kind of thinking, you know, if, if she continued to be that kind of sly, uh, the powerful person she was getting her job at the perfume counter. And, and she's also a temptress of Cooper or somehow, then they're always the ones in the story. That, that shoot the protagonist at some point. You know, mm. they're, they're, they're the dangerous seductress in that old style of writing. And um, so, so I, I agree with uh, JC 100%. I would have loved to have seen it played out as a dream to some degree. Mm. But it also might have set Audrey down a path that they didn't really want to go toward quite. I, I, I'm mm. not sure about that, but at least that's the way I'm kind of reading it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, this, this scene is widely talked about between me and Ben all the time. I think in terms of character development, they did the right thing for both Audrey and Cooper. You know, I echo a lot of sentiments about Cooper's part in it that probably just didn't really jive with his character for him to have a sexual relationship with an 18-year-old woman or really any woman, period, at that point in the investigation. Right. It, it wouldn't have felt right. For Audrey, it opened up future possibilities But what I'm really fixated on, um, just sitting here listening to everybody speak, is the duality of it all and how R. Cooper saved her innocence. You know, he he did not take advantage of a girl who was already upset and went to him because she was upset. And then what happened to her in between seasons two and seasons three with the doppelgooper. Right. So so maybe I should save a little of this conversation for your next community rewatch, but this is going to lead to a conversation between him and her that's going to set up a talk about needs and desires. And that's going to become important for the return when we see a side of character that this establishes the Cooper we have now. And then we're going to see the Cooper that, that was in there. And, and I think so, that makes this scene that much better to me, uh, right. the way that they chose to go with it. Yeah, I agree. Right. And I think we've already touched on this, but 
Oh, I'll I'll say what I've said many times before. Fifteen-year-old version of me loved the idea, like, oh, Cooper and Audrey together. Mm. I thought it was so sweet. Now being, you know, an adult having three children, two girls, and and not, I think it's yeah, very inappropriate. It's even more inappropriate when you take into season three and you realize Mr. C raped her. We call you know we call this rape as well when there's a child or a young person to be put in this situation. You know what I don't like thinking about sometimes, but I'm sure this is always a theory that like is Mr. C really Cooper? and stuff is it a part of cooper and like is cooper a really bad person you know he has a bad side yeah no he is not a bad person (laughs) (laughs) he can do no wrong in all in all seriousness everybody's like that like everybody there's there's always a bad side and a good side to everybody and it's whether or not you act on certain things Mm. that are within you right right so it's like you know, we could all be Mr. C. Well, not Mr. C, but we could all have a Bob, you know, that yeah. within us that makes us the most primal in the, and act a certain way. But we choose to, like, find our, you know, our fireman, so to speak, if you're mm. going to if you're going to use the two sides of good and evil. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Cooper. Our, our senorita Dido. So <laughs> yes. 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 Is there any other comments? Anything? Any other? Uh, anything else about this episode? So just to close in, I made a point earlier and then I, I never got back to it, although I touched on it. I missed my opportunity. This was uh, when we talked about that uh, deleted scene with the uh, Briggs and and the secret history. And in that does not Mark Frost talk about Margaret's uh, husband dying in a fire in the forest right after their marriage? And that's where I kind of said, uh, well, no thanks to Mark Frost as far as her not interpreting this log having a significance with her husband. Mm. I, I feel like um, that the Mark Frost was heading that direction a little bit with her husband. And we think of we've all heard him. Uh, we've associated her husband with the fireman. We've associated him with the log, the yeah. fireman, maybe even more so because he mentioned giants in the woods and then mm. this man dying in a fire. And that was the name they used for him. So, so I just wanted to mention that just to close out the point and get back around to it. I probably associate him more with the log than I do the fireman or the giant. But uh, I know that as fans, we've all talked about it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Each one of you let me know what you guys are working on at 25 Years Later site, and we'll start with Rob. Yeah, so by the time this episode comes out, it'll be out. I just finished an interview with Andreas Halskov on his TV Peaks book, and uh, it's an excellent interview. He gives thorough uh, answers in there, so if you haven't read it by the time you hear this, please go back and see what he has to say. And then we have our Celebration of Women, which I think everyone's going to talk about, and I will be writing about uh, Janie E., so oh nice and steve uh i right now gosh andrew how much am i behind on right now 20 things so we're gonna need to talk after this is over Uh you're you're gonna have to go to the principal's office Uh principal's office oh damn it okay all right well okay good okay good to know Uh, i'm working on also celebration of women articles um i'm doing um, um just a kind of I, I don't like best rankings, but my 10 kind of personal favorite women in horror uh, filmmakers, um, something that needs to be talked about, because I also think that uh, women have made by far the most exciting stuff in the genre for the past 10 years. And um, on top of that, uh, just um, uh, apparently about to get yelled at by uh, Andrew. So that'll be <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. Yep. So July is the celebration of women. Um Really the exciting stuff that we'll talk about here that will kind of be a scoop at the end of July 
is oh, yeah. that this is right around the time when Rob and I will begin our discussions for Twin Peaks month year two, which will be February of 2020. Ooh. Rob and I will be uh, working out all of the details for the fun and exciting things that we want to do next February. Cool. And the other exciting scoop that I can give is that I am actively working with a handful of members of the 25 Years Later team on some pretty big lost related projects, which uh, will start in September. Wow. That's awesome. Nice. Very cool. And uh, that'll be the that'll be the tenth anniversary, right? The fifteenth anniversary 15th. of the pilot, oh, and the our projects will end around the ten year anniversary of the show ending next year. Uh-huh. yeah, they got the big celebration in Hawaii next year. Wow, we've got some pretty cool stuff in motion right now, and uh, still a little bit of time to plan more. But let's just say that the writers are doing their lost rewatches as we speak. Awesome, and, you, and I, I, you know, we've we've spoken, Andrew. I really want John Bernardi to to do something on Lost because I think he's never seen the show, and uh, I think it'd be really interesting to see his theories on it. Yeah, I have t- I have tried. Uh, John's plate is pretty full for the rest of this year. Uh, something about twenty five years later is most of the staff knows what they're doing for the rest of the year. Wow. Like I could tell you what my plans are for November right now. That's wow. crazy. And John was pretty locked down with other stuff. He does want to get to Lost at some point in time, but he, as of right now, he is not a part of these projects. So, which is kind of a bummer. But John has a lot of other cool work and works in the stuff up his sleeve. I guess I should say. Yeah. Cool. And JC, uh, I'm working on an uh, article that will come out, well, already be out when this episode airs. It's a, a, a article for Celebration Women on Marilyn Monroe and how, how I think she's a comic genius and was underestimated completely during her career. And awesome. um, I'm also working on, we're doing a project called The Summer of 69, and I'll be writing about uh, Judy Garland for that. Oh, nice. Cool. nice. Very nice. Yes. And along some other things, so we're trying to get some... Some news, up and coming news stuff, you know, every day we're trying to add a little something, but, you know, got a little bit behind, but we'll be, we'll be coming back bigger and stronger with a lot of uh, news items as well. Well, keep it up. I get my news from you guys. Yeah. I think I learned about Ghostbusters movie from <laughs> from 25 years later site. So keep up the news. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we give you another scoop? Yes, please do. Should we, should, Steve, do you think we should give him a scoop? Give him a scoop. Give me a scoop. I want scoops. uh, Give me two scoops. Two scoops. Steve's one of the editors for our horror department, and something that Steve, Valerie, Laura, and I are working on behind the scenes for horror is a huge celebration for the month of October. There are a lot of people, horror fans, Halloween fans, that think Halloween should last more than one day. Mm -hmm. It is their favorite holiday, and we tend to agree. So look mm-hmm. for the month of October to be filled with all kinds of horror madness, both written articles and some other things that we can't really tease too much right now. But let's just say we're going big in October. Wow. wow. Exciting. Very exciting. That. That's awesome. Bro, it's exciting times. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's great. I mean, Steve, this is the first time we've gotten to talk to you, and it's been it's really been great to have yeah. you on the show. I'm so happy and, you guys uh, had me. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really looking Steve's forward. Yes, yeah. yeah, Steve is Steve is one of my excellent news news guys that that helps me out big time. So a lot of it is definitely Steve. Aww. Steve writing, Jason, writing his little heart out. Kind. She has to fix all my work. <laughs> yeah. Steve, a little bit more credit here since he's the person least known by the audience, perhaps just from not being on the show before. 
Steve and a writer named Will are going to be two writers that surpass me this year in terms of written content. The first two years, I had written the most articles each year compared to all the other writers, and Steve and Will are going to destroy me this year. Wow. Do you know why that is? If I could add why that is, it's because Will and I firmly believe in quantity over quality, whereas quality <laughs> over quantity for some weird reason. That, that's our motto, though, too. We're, we're close to 200 episodes, so it's all about quantity, oh, wow. not about quality. Yeah, yeah. The just... only time we get quality is when you guys are on the show. Yep. So I mean, <laughs> oh, well, thank you, you so great. much. And, and, yeah, and, and mention how can you how can we check out your articles and how can we follow you? Uh, best way on Facebook, uh, we have our Facebook page. Twenty five years later, Twitter. It's twenty five YL site. I believe that's also the Instagram handle. We all have our own individual social media. I'm at Andrew Grievous on Twitter. I'll let everybody else plug themselves. But the big thing is to come to the website itself, 25yearslatersite.com, and sign up for the emails the way that Ben alluded to earlier. I do. I love getting them every day. I get info. And that's how I learned about the Freddy Cougar series. It's like, oh, I got I to gotta go to the site and read this stuff. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> that's been a lot of fun, which reminds me of more work that, I, that, I, that I'm behind on that Andrew can yell at me. <laughs> Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, but see, then when we have more content for October, then right? I mean, yeah, if you're behind, yeah. you'll, you'll have it for October. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Andrew's like, no, it's coming. It's supposed to. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but seriously, it's been that that series was um, a real, just a big learning experience for me on the editing side of things, and it was just a blast reading. Like Rob's article was so good. Anthony's article was so good. Like everybody's stuff was really good, and it really kind of made me hone in and like you know just try it much harder. So it was really awesome. Cool. Cool. And Steve, how can people uh, follow you? Oh, sorry. Yeah, if you let me keep talking, I'll never shut up. Um, uh, I have, uh, let's see, um, my, my Facebook is just uh, Steve Wandling. I'm on Twitter, um, uh, uh, Steve Wandling. Uh, I think it's a Jeremiah Velasco, which I think when I made a Twitter, uh, which was only like a year ago, I didn't know you couldn't change that. I can't figure out how to change that, and I don't really like it, but that's what it is. I'm on there a lot, but I interact with the 25YL uh, mostly when I'm there, so if you kind of see them you'll you'll find me pretty easy and i am also the um i'd like to plug um that uh i'm the co-host of a podcast um called repo nerds and you can uh, actually it's through blog talk radio i think if you go to www.archivist um, it's on blog talk radio it's archivist bet on sexy witches and <laughs> i am a featured that is a from the geek girl perspective i'm like a featured panelist on that and i am the co-host of the sister show repo nerds so check cool. that out Thanks. awesome and rob right yeah so so maybe the best way to find all of us if you go to our 25 years later site under the menu you will see the team and you can scroll down and find our information you'll find my email there if you have any ideas for twin peaks please uh, email me email andrew um and uh, we will sure get that. And then if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, that's at Rob Ed is in Big Ed King, Rob Ed King altogether. And JC? You can follow me on Twitter. I'm AC Hotch 726. You could also follow the Bookhouse Babes. It's at Bookhouse Babes uh, on Twitter as well. We're still trying to spread the word of Twin Peaks. Me. Cool. Thanks so and much. At 25 later, years later, site. 
Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank think, you all so much. Thank you. So much thank, you. thank you, 25 Years Later site, and thank you to the Unseen Players, the Pink Room Barlesque. You guys are fantastic as always, and it's always great to have you on the show. And if you like to comment, give us a question, or talk about what we just talked about tonight, send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Go ahead and like us on the old Facebook. Uh, Facebook is just blowing up. I mean, we've surpassed our last uh, goal for likes. Uh, I'll have to come up with another goal because it just we're just flying. Also, follow us on Twitter at Twin, Twin Peaks Unwrap. Feel free to give us that five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Check us out on Google Play. We're on Spotify. So while you're playing video games, you can listen to us in the background. Also support us on TeePublic. All the links are in the show notes. So feel free to click away. Lucy here on the Twin Peaks beat. Lars' father won't get rid of his headache by dancing around the problem, but he's not the only one with headaches. Are you quite finished? Cousin Madeline finds a clue in Laura's bedroom, but Agent Cooper's too busy looking under the bed to notice what's in it. Look in the bed, Agent! Oops, he saw it. Don't make me leave. At least Audrey doesn't have a headache. You'll love Twin Peaks tonight. It's where the elite meet.